The Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. Great theme this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles. Turn along with me to Psalm 148. Psalm 148. Two words strike fear in the hearts of men. Jerry duty. The word can cause some people to roll their eyes and shake their head and say, here we go again. Didn't I just get called up for jury duty? Now they're asking me again? Just a quick show of hands. How many of you have been called up for jury duty in the last two years or so? Ooh, active citizenry. Good, good on you. That's great. For some, these summonses, seem to come around quickly. To serve on a jury is an act of service to our community, and it is a noble duty, for sure. And yet it seems so often to be something that most people want to avoid for many reasons, not the least of which it tends to be a hassle in our lives, something unwelcomed, uninvited, We have to get the day off of work, find parking downtown, go through security at the courthouse, find the right room, check in and wait and wait and wait, and then they dismiss you or they may call you in for further questions to see if you'll be selected. And if you do get selected, your case could take the rest of your day or the rest of the week or maybe even longer. I actually kind of enjoy the whole process myself. I'm sick like that, I guess. It's kind of a lesson in civics, a lesson in law, a lesson in human nature. It's good for people watching. But I can understand why some might let out a sigh when they receive their summons in the mail. But jury duty is not optional. When you are selected for jury duty, you receive a summons. A summons is an official command of the court for you to appear in person to be available to serve. It is a summons, not a suggestion. It is a requirement, not a request. If you receive a summons to appear in court and then fail to appear, there can be significant negative consequences for you. In Colorado, failing to appear when summoned can result in a $1,000 fine and up to three days in jail. The aforementioned should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your own attorney. (laughs) Well, this morning we're going to see a different kind of summons. A summons issued not by a mere human court, but a divine summons. A summons... Not to serve on a jury or to testify in court, but a summons to praise God, our Creator, King. For the praise of God is the very purpose for which the world was made, 
and for which you and I have been given life and breath and all things. So, let's begin by reading the text of Psalm 148 this morning and hear the universal call of the divine summons to praise the Lord. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling His word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven, and He has lifted up a horn for His people, Praise for all His godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to Him. Praise the Lord. And let all God's people say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before You to praise Your great and glorious name. You have summoned us this morning And every morning, this day and every day, you have summoned us to praise your name. That is the reason you've given us breath. That is the reason you've given us life. You've called us as your creatures to give you glory and praise and honor and adoration. That's what we want to do, Lord. That's what our hearts want to do this morning. Those of us who are yours, Lord, we pray that you'd make us better at praising you. All the time, every day, regardless of our circumstances. Lord, this is the divine summons. Let us respond with eagerness and joy and obedience. Because you have done great things for us. You have affected our deliverance. You've lifted up a great horn of salvation for us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 148 is one of the last five psalms that concludes the 150 psalms that make up the Psalter, the book of Psalms. These final five psalms are called the final Hallel. Hallel being the Hebrew verb meaning to praise. Psalm 148 then is in the middle position of these five psalms. And in the middle position, in that central position of these final five psalms of praise, it acts as the anchor, the doxological center with its universal call to praise the Lord. It also provides the theological and apologetic center of these five psalms with its clear reasons for praise. 
This psalm, like the other five psalms of the final Hallel, begins and ends with the exact same word in Hebrew. Hallelujah. You didn't know you knew Hebrew. You do. You know a little Hebrew. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah is a Hebrew word. It's an interjection, a word intended to be spoken with enthusiasm and joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah is a compound word made up of two Hebrew words, the verb hallelujah, which means praise. Remember, we talked about hallel. Hallelujah is the verb to praise and the word yah, which is the contracted name of Yahweh, the personal covenant name for God. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. The psalm is also beautifully and symmetrically arranged. Not only does it begin with hallelujah and end with hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. The psalm also features ten times when the verb praise is mentioned, signifying and emphasizing the totality of praise that Yahweh deserves. Likewise, the word all appears ten times in this psalm, underscoring the comprehensive nature of this universal call to praise the Lord. There are 30 different groups, a factor of 10. 30 different groups which are addressed in this psalm, corresponding to the same number of lines that are in the psalm, in the body of the psalm. All of this poetic skill and beauty and symmetry reflect the creative skill and beauty of the Creator who is its subject and focus. You're going to receive a summons today. A divine summons to praise the Lord who made you and who rules as King over all things. The question is, will you heed the summons? Or will you ignore it? and suffer the devastating consequences. In Psalm 148, we're going to receive two summonses. Two summonses to praise the Lord, to praise our Creator King, for the praise of God is the very purpose for which all things were created. So, we're going to see these two summonses. The first summons is this. All creation is summoned to praise the Creator King. All creation is summoned to praise the Creator King. Verses 1 through 6. The heavens are first called on to praise the Lord. Look with me there. Praise the Lord from the heavens. And the next line, we're to praise the Lord from the heights. The scriptures recognize three layers of heaven, or the heavens. The first heaven is the air we breathe around us, the atmosphere we need to survive, and the sky above us where the clouds form and the birds fly. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is the region of the sun, the moon, the stars, and space. And the third heaven is where God dwells. 2 Corinthians 12, 2-3. It is the second and third heaven which seem to be in view here. That is the sky and outer space. In verse 4, the psalmist will call the highest heavens, literally the heaven of heavens, to praise the Lord. So the second and third heaven, the place of the sun, the moon, the planets, and space, 
all the way to the place where God dwells is called upon to praise the Lord. Imagine this psalm as a movie. And for the first scene, fading in from black, the establishing shot, the camera pans out and out and out until the whole universe is in the frame. Talk about an ultra-wide shot. Scientists readily admit that they do not actually know how big the universe is. But the observable universe, that is the, the bits we can see, or in some other way detect, is approximately 93 billion light years in diameter. Now light travels pretty fast. Light can travel pretty fast in a day. Certainly can travel fast in a year. Long distance. But the distance it takes for light to travel 93 billion years is the diameter of our universe, at least the known universe. Absolutely amazing. Staggering. How large this universe is that the Lord created. And this vast expanse of space with its galaxies and planets and moons and black holes and asteroids and meteors and comets and moons, this vast expanse of space is all called upon to praise the Lord with its great inconceivable expanse. It praises the Lord by pointing to something even greater than itself the one who created it all. Psalm 19, 1-6 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their Line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is the bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. There is a glory in nature. There is a glory in the expanse. There is a glory in the heavens, but that glory is fully eclipsed by the glory of the Lord. Who made it all. Praise the Lord from the heavens, even from the highest heavens. Next, the angels are invoked to praise the Lord. The camera zooms in now a little bit from an ultra-wide shot encompassing the entire universe God has made to the creation of His special servants, His special agents. From the inanimate and unconscious galaxies and planets to the animate and conscious angelic host. The angels, of course, are the spirit beings God has created and chosen as His own. They are His hosts, His army, arrayed, equipped, and ready to do His will. As we read Scripture, we see there seems to be different kinds of angelic beings with cherubim and seraphim listed and also angelic beings with differing appearances, differing ranks, differing purposes, differing assignments. Angels are mentioned over 273 times in the Bible. 
It's a whole unseen realm that we're completely oblivious to and unaware of most of the time. So how many angels are there? Hebrews 12.22 says there are myriads of angels. Too many to count. Listen to this description of the number of angels just surrounding the throne room of God from Revelation 5.11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. I don't know how many were there, but it was a lot. They are called to praise the Lord. Now we move from angelic beings to celestial bodies. The sun and the moon are now called upon to praise the Lord. In ancient Near Eastern cultures, the sun and moon were worshipped as gods. Small g. Shamesh and Ra were names from different cultures for the sun god. And Sin the moon god of the Sumerians, the Syrians, and the Babylonians. But here, these two great celestial bodies, which in their own way light the earth, can be easily seen with the naked eye, are not presented as gods to be worshipped and served, but instead are presented as servants who owe praise to God their Maker. Sun and moon are called and summoned to praise the Lord. The next call to praise is directed to the stars of light. The night sky is dotted and filled with seemingly innumerable stars. Astronomers and other scientists estimate that there are over 200 sextillion stars. I don't, I don't even know, I don't know what that is. It's 200 billion trillion stars. That's their estimate, based on our own galaxy. Now, I can't wrap my mind around that. I just, I don't know. I don't know how many zeros that is. I googled it. I tried to figure it out so I could tell you how many zeros. One of you guys is real smart, or gals, and you'll come up after the service and say, oh yeah, it's it's 37,000 zeros, you know, whatever. Okay, whatever. But it's a big number. It's more than we can conceive, really. That's the number of stars. All these stars in their vastness. Most of them unseen by us. Unobserved are called upon to worship the Lord that made them all. Next in this summons to praise is the waters that are above the heavens. This is a common poetic way to refer to the rain clouds. It's used that way in Genesis 1-7. The clouds which provide shade and rain are called upon to praise the Lord. We had an elder meeting this past Thursday and the pastor couldn't stop looking out the window at the majestic, towering cumulus that were beautifully lit by the setting sun, showing shades of yellow and pink and purple. Clouds, too, are summoned to praise the Lord. Now look with me at verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord, 
For he commanded and they were created. All these mentioned are again called upon to praise the Lord. And then in this second line of verse 5, the psalmist gives the reason why. Why praise the Lord? Why should the sun and moon and stars and the highest heavens praise the Lord? Why should the universe and angels praise the Lord? Because God made them all. He created them all by the word of His command. And what before did not exist, suddenly in a moment with a word came into existence. Out of nothing. For He commanded and they were created. The word created is the same Hebrew word, bara, used in Genesis 1 of God's creative activity. God's power to create all that is out of nothing points to His sovereign rule over all things. He who creates that which didn't before exist, He who creates all out of nothing is able to rule over all. He is the Creator King. And as such, He is worthy of praise from all that He has created. Verse 6 continues this thought. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. God has not only created all that is, but He has also established them so that they will stand firm to this day. He not only creates them, but He sustains them, holding them together, preserving them, establishing them so they stand firm. Ecclesiastes 1.4 says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. God's created a home here for humanity that has endured millennia. We come, we go, we get 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years if you're unlucky. But the earth remains forever. Psalm 119, 90 through 91. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinance for all things are your servants. You see, that's it. All things are God's servants because He created it all. He sustains it all. He has authority over it all. All things are His servants. And therefore, all are summoned to praise their Creator and King. And of course, we know who God is. Who God, the Creator and Sustainer of all things, is. With further revelation, we learn in Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17, that it is Jesus Christ who is identified as the Creator and Sustainer of all things. Listen to what Colossians 1 says, For by Him, by the Son, Jesus Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him, 
He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. All things were created by Him. All things were created through Him. All things were created for Him. And by Him all things hold together. Friends, Jesus Christ is at the center of everything that is. Jesus Christ is the Creator He's the sustainer, He's the redeemer, and He is the focal point for all praise. You and I are summoned this day to give Him His due. What He deserves as our Creator King is our praise, our thanksgiving, our adoration, and our service. The universe declares, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first summons. And it goes out to all creation. The second summons is more directed, more focused. Focused on the earth, and in particular, people. Let's look at verses 7 through 14, where all people are summoned to praise the Creator King. All people are summoned to praise the Creator King. In verse 7, the camera zooms into focus upon earth. Having zoomed in from that extreme wide angle, it comes in and we see this beautiful blue planet that God has made. Praise the Lord from the earth. The heavens, having given their song of praise to the Lord, they listen now as the earth echoes back its own song of praise. The heavens and earth here have formed two massive choirs singing one great song of antiphonal praise to the Lord. Singing back and forth, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Look at the second line of verse 7. Sea monsters and all deeps. Ooh, this is getting good. Sea monsters? Sea monsters? Really? Yeah, yeah, really. Sea monsters in the deeps. The deeps were a place of great fear. The deeps were a place of assumed chaos. Out of the reach of God. In ancient Near Eastern mythology. But in truth, they too cannot escape the creative and sustaining hand of God. And in these deeps roam sea monsters. Yeah. Cool, huh? Cool indeed. Who knows what creatures lurk in the deepest parts of the oceans? One such creature the Bible identifies is Leviathan, who though created by God, as good is now in this fallen world presented often in Scripture as a creature of chaos and danger, a threat to humans. 
uncontrollable. In Job 41, the whole chapter is devoted to Leviathan. Check it out. God answers Job's complaint by pointing out Leviathan's mighty fierceness and then comparing Leviathan to God's much greater power as Leviathan's creator and ruler. God has every Leviathan on a chain, on a leash, under control. Job 41, 7 through 11. Let me just read a portion of it. You can read any bit of it. It, it, The same stuff comes through. Can you fill his skin with harpoons? God is asking Job this question. Can you fill Leviathan's skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? The implied answer to all these is no, you can't. You are powerless against Leviathan, this great sea monster. Lay your hand on him? No. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. You will not pet Leviathan and live to tell about it. Behold, your expectation is false. Will you be laid low even at the sight of him? Even to see him would strike so much fear in your heart that you might die on the spot. No one is so fierce that he dares to arouse him. Who then is he that can stand before me? As great as Leviathan is, as much as he strikes fear in the hearts of men, how much more so... I, the God of all the universe, the God who created Leviathan, the God who controls even those that lurk in the deeps. Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine, God says. It's a declaration of authority, a declaration of control, a declaration of power, a declaration of right and might. In addition to Leviathan, the Bible speaks of other great beasts on the land, like behemoth. It speaks of dragons, which are now extinct. Perhaps these creatures were dinosaurs. Perhaps some of them are lost to us entirely and remain a mystery to us as to what they actually were. But sea monsters in all deeps, all things that lurk unseen, inaccessible to us, and which are a threat to mankind, and were often thought, according to these popular ancient mythologies, to be autonomous and uncontrollable creatures, thwarting the very will of the gods. In actuality, these great beasts are under the complete sovereign control of the God who made them, and they are therefore required to bring praise to God. Next comes the fierce and terrifying realities of nature in its various meteorological appearances. Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind. Fire is perhaps lightning. Perhaps it's wildfires. We've seen the devastating nature of that in our own community and sadly more recently on Maui. Fire and hail. We know about hail, don't we? Anybody have hail damage? Quick show of hands. Yeah? I hear you. You don't even want to admit to it. Fire and hail, snow and clouds and stormy winds. Stormy winds can include all weather events with high winds from squalls to 
hurricanes, from sandstorms to tornadoes. But notice what verse 8 says about God's control over all these elements. They fulfill His word. They do His word. They do His bidding. They obey His commands. Probably you don't even have to turn your Bibles anywhere, but look at Psalm 147, verses 15 through 18. Very similar language used here. Psalm 147, the previous psalm, verses 15 through 18. It says that God sends forth His command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly, unimpeded. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts forth His ice as fragments. Who can stand before His cold? He sends forth His word and melts them. He causes His wind to blow and the waters flow. God is presented as being in complete control of the weather and is therefore deserving of praise from all the elements and from all that He's created. Now look at verse 9. The mountains and the hills are called upon next to praise the Lord. Rugged landscapes, often inaccessible places, often viewed as the home of the gods. Think of Mount Olympus. These are called upon to give Yahweh praise. Next, he calls on fruit trees and cedars to praise the Lord. All plant life is likely included in these two summary examples. Fruit trees representing vegetation that is cultivated, while the word cedars refers to those wild-growing plants. All the earth's living plants are called upon to praise the Lord. What a lush world we live in. All this vegetation is to praise the name of its creator. Next in verse 10 comes beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl. This includes both wild animals and domesticated animals. Things that creep on the ground to things that fly in the sky. You see, what's happening here is the psalmist is covering all created beings, all living things, from this to that, from that to this. It's almost like a Dr. Seuss rhyme a little bit. All creatures are called upon to praise the Lord. Now look at verses 11 and 12. The psalmist is covering every conceivable category of creation, including humanity. Verse 11 and 12, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. Kings and all peoples, those in charge and those under their charge, those in authority and those under authority, princes and judges of the earth, every position of authority, everywhere all over the earth, young men and virgins, that is young men and young women, old men and children. The term old men likely refers to all elderly people, inclusive of both male and female. So it is the elderly and the young, the elderly and the children that are invoked to praise the Lord. All these people and everyone in between, from the oldest to the youngest, from the one with the most authority to the one with the least authority, 
all are called upon to praise the Lord. As the first line of verse 13 makes explicit. Let them praise the name of the Lord. And just like back in verse 5, the reason for this summons to praise is now given. For God's name alone is exalted. God's name is the revelation of Himself. God communicates things about Himself by using His name. He is deserving of praise because of who He is and who He has revealed Himself to be. And as we've seen in this psalm, He has revealed Himself to be the Creator of all things, the Sustainer of all things, and the King over all things. A further reason is given at the end of verse 13, because His glory is above heaven and earth. God's glory is the totality of His splendor and majesty, which is the totality of His being. This is royal language being used here. Such splendor and glory elevated above the earth and the heavens declares God as the great King over all. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is none greater than He. There is none higher than He. There is none more deserving of praise than He. God is the undisputed, unassailable ruler over all things. And this, too, is cause for praise. Psalm 95.3 and verse 6 says this, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, our Creator King. Our Maker and majesty. Now the closing verse, verse 14. And God has lifted up a horn for His people, praise for all His godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to Him, praise the Lord. God has lifted up a horn for His people. That's an odd expression. That's not something we would say. It's just not something you use in your vocabulary. You know, God really lifted up a horn for me. You think, what, a trumpet or a sax? What what are you talking about? A horn. Well, it's not an an instrument. It's a horn of an oxen in all likelihood. Oxen are among the strongest of domesticated beasts. And the ox is horn is a symbol of its strength. It is the focal point of its strength. Mess with an ox, and you'll likely get the horns. And so a horn, as mentioned here, is an image of strength, and specifically military strength and might, a symbol of victory and deliverance and salvation from calamity. This is how Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, used the word, Horn, as he prophesied, anticipating the birth of Messiah for whom his own son would be the forerunner. Listen to what Zechariah says in Luke 1, 68 and 69, speaking of Messiah, speaking of Jesus, right? 
Luke 1, 68 and 69, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, His servant. A horn of salvation. An object of might, of power, of deliverance, of salvation. Jesus is that horn of salvation. Jesus is the horn that God has raised up. And it has resulted in salvation for all who will believe on Him. This strength and might and victory have given those of us who are God's children reason for praise. The psalmist mentions the sons of Israel here who have been brought near to the Lord through His gracious act of deliverance. The sons of Israel were far away. But God has brought them near through His horn of deliverance. And how much more true is that for us who are in Jesus Christ? We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were far off. We who were alienated. We who had no hope. Who were destined for destruction. Have been revived and been redeemed and been saved by God's gracious act of raising up a horn of deliverance and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He raised him up, all right. He raised him to the cross where Jesus died in your place and mine, taking our sin and our guilt, the sinless one, the righteous one, the spotless one, raised up, dying in our place so that we might have life through faith in Him alone. We have reason to praise because a horn of salvation has been lifted up for us and we are delivered. Praise God. Well, the psalm ends as it began with a call to praise. Hallelujah! Thank you. Praise the Lord. Psalmist has artfully and masterfully included every part of creation in this summons to praise. We've all been swept up in it. And this summons to praise works its way from the highest of heavens to the earth, to all humanity, and finally, yes, to the people of God. All are called to praise the Lord because the Lord is our Creator King. He created us, He sustains us, and He rules over us all. Why wouldn't you want to praise Him? You've received a summons to praise the Lord this morning, beloved. Will you heed the summons? Or will you shrug? Will you roll your eyes? Will you hear... That again? Really? We've heard it a thousand times. Will you ignore it? Ignore this summons and you will suffer the devastating consequences for all eternity. But Jesus beckons you today to praise Him. Praise Him while you still have breath. Praise Him while you still have time. Praise Him by recognizing Him as the Son of God, the sinless Son of God who died for you and rose again the third day that you might have life in His name.
Praise of God is the very purpose for which we've been created. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, I'm sure as you know. The first question asks this, What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To praise the Lord. And the byproduct of praise is always joy. You want to have more joy in your life? Bring more praise to the table. Give more praise to God and you'll see your joy meter go right up. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. Let me ask you, are you rightly related to your Creator King? Are you reconciled to Him through faith in the work of Jesus Christ this morning? If not, you can be. You can be. It's yours for the asking. It's yours for the believing. It's yours for the trusting in Jesus alone. He is the horn of our salvation and the central reason and object of our praise. Beloved, let us joyfully answer this universal summons to praise the Lord this day and every day of our lives. For praising the Lord is what we'll do for all eternity. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, you are worthy of praise, for you have made all things. All things exist because of you. All things are sustained because of you. You rule over the affairs of men and the affairs of the whole universe. Nothing escapes your notice. Nothing is beyond your reach. Nothing is outside your authority. We praise you for that. Most of all, we praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who himself is the creator and sustainer of all things, who himself is the horn of salvation lifted up that we might be saved. Oh, thank you, Father, for sending your Son, Jesus. And it is our delight to praise him this day and every day and even into eternity. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.